Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. So glad that you've joined us today in person and online, and I'm just telling you, my heart was full this morning as I listened to you engage in worship. I heard your voices singing, I saw your hand, not even, I saw and heard your hands clapping this morning, and in fact, I just want to see you a little bit better this morning. I wonder if the guys upstairs could bring a little bit more house light on so I could see your smiling faces today. It's there. I can see your smiling faces. Let's give them a hand this morning. Well, well, last week we uh, looked at the idea that every time is the right time to worship God. And I challenge us in all seasons at all times to worship God. Worship should be the conditioned response that we have to everything that we experience in life. And I'm just telling you, if you missed last week's message, I would encourage you to watch it online or listen online at crosspointwaverly.com or Facebook or YouTube or Spotify. Find it. And if you've missed any of these messages in these series, I I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. Uh, This morning, I want to talk about the idea of us worshiping God in all we do. In fact, a few weeks ago when I set out to preach this message, I thought that I would entitle it Worship in our vocation. But then I just felt like God wanted it to be a little broader this morning. And so we're going to look at worshiping God in our vocation, but also in the other responsibilities that we have in life. I believe in in that all we do should be worship to God. And so what are the responsibilities, the jobs, and the tasks that we have? What are the responsibilities? What are the jobs? What are the tasks that each of us have? And what would it look like? If we viewed that as worship unto the Lord, what would it look like if every job, responsibility, or task that we have was viewed as worship unto the Lord? Each week when I stand up to deliver a message, it's worship unto God. And so I've done the best that I can in preparation for a Sunday morning. I have manuscripted out the message. Uh, you could read, if, if I was gone on a Sunday, you could, somebody could stand up here and preach the message. I've practiced it multiple times before I stand up here because to me this is an act of worship unto the Lord. And I want to give God my best. I want to bring God glory I want to bring glory to God. And so what are the things that you do that you could view as worship to God? And here, I just want to throw out this caveat. Unless you're doing something sinful or unethical, all that you do can be done as worship unto God. So I want us to turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 this morning. Colossians chapter 3. It's also going to appear on the screen. We're going to read it from the English Standard Version first, and then we're going to look at a different translation called the Message Bible. And so the first time we're going to look at it is through the ESV version, though. So Colossians chapter 3, verse number 3, says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, I'll just tell you that the greater context of this verse is talking about slavery. And I'll just tell you that the Bible is not for slavery. Everybody say amen. 
The Bible is not for slavery. In fact, in verse number 25, Paul writes this. It's going to appear on the screen. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. But it's in this context that Paul says, even if you're in this situation, whatever work that you're doing, heartily do it as unto the Lord, not for men. And so it's in this context that whatever situation we're in, we need to worship God with what we do. With this context in mind and with our hearts relieved that the Bible is not for slavery, let's look at how the Message Bible uh, talks about or translates this verse. In verse number 22, it says, Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. And don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Wow. I mean, (laughs) that translation is just direct and straight to the heart. And I'm just telling you, I'm not normally a points guy where I'll be like, hey, and point number one this morning is this, and point number two is this. But through this translation of the Bible, there are five points this morning that I'm going to communicate to you that come straight from straight from this passage. And so I'm just going to tell you what they are straight from the beginning. An old teacher uh, once said, what you need to do is tell people what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. So this morning, I'm going to go that route. So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you what I told you. So here are the five points this morning. Are you ready? Number one, don't negotiate the minimums. Secondly, do your best. Third, Work from the heart. Four, remember the rewarder. Five, don't make Jesus look bad. So number one, don't negotiate the minimums. Secondly, do your best. Number three, work from the heart. Fourth, remember the rewarder. And finally, don't make Jesus look bad. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word and for the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's power. Would you make your word come alive to us? Would you open up our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to understand what you would have for us? In Jesus' name, amen. If everything we do is unto the Lord, the very first thing that we should do is not negotiate the minimums. What's point number one? Don't negotiate the minimums. Man, y'all are on track. This applies to so much of life. And so I wonder in your life, where do you negotiate the minimums? We all do it in some area of our life. Maybe for some of you, you're like, what is the least amount of time that I can get up in the morning and still get ready before going to school or work or church and spend the most time in bed? Maybe some of you say, what is the least amount of effort that I can put into this assignment and still pass the test? Now, we didn't have the resources that some of these kids have today. I've been told that there is a tool out there that you can enter in your assignments, your grades, and then the assignment, and it can tell you the weight of that assignment. And so as you get ready to take your test, now you understand the weight of this assignment, meaning that if you have a low grade and you need a high grade, then you know that you need to get a high grade on this exam in order to bring your grade up. Or maybe for those of you who have been blessed with tremendous test-taking ability and intellectual knowledge, you know that you could get a D on this assignment and still have an A in class. And if your schoolwork is not worship unto God, 
then you're negotiating the minimums in that moment because you're like, why would I even study for this test when I'm still going to get an A in this class? So I just want to encourage you, don't negotiate the minimums. In all that you do, view it as worship unto God. Some of you wait till the last minute to leave your house to show up to your place of employment because with just sheer seconds before you clock in because you don't want to spend one minute more there than what you have to. What if you viewed your vocation as worship unto the Lord? It doesn't matter what you do vocationally, as long as it's not illegal and it's not sinful, you can do it as worship unto God. I'm grateful that my garbage man does not negotiate the minimums. I'm grateful that he doesn't dump a quarter of the garbage into my driveway and then dump three quarters of it into the garbage truck and go, well, that's good enough, I got most of it. The way others view their jobs impacts us. When people love their job and view it as worship unto the Lord, there's nothing like it. When people hate their jobs, there's also nothing like it. (laughs) It's clear. When I'm on an airplane, I want the pilot to love his or her job. I want to step onto a plane where the pilot is joyful and views flying a plane as an act of worship unto God. When Eric and I lived in India, most of the pilots were, were trained by the military, generally. And I'll just tell you that I've had some horrible flights here in the States as well. But there were times when our planes in India landed so hard that I thought we were going to bounce back into outer space. Like, I mean, that's how hard we hit. Or I thought, there's no way that that landing gear is surviving that and we're all going to die. In those moments, nobody was praising God for that pilot's ability. Not a single person. Instead, they were still at the last minute asking God to forgive them of all of their sins because they thought that they were about to meet him. Last week, I flew to Memphis for my mom's surgery, and she's doing well, thanks to each of you who prayed. And some of you are like, well, last week? Yeah, I announced it one week, and then the, uh, the doctor postponed it to the following week. So anyway, she's doing well. But on the final leg, I sat beside this sweet lady who, when we took off, she was praying to God <laughs> out loud. And when... <laughs> When we were landing, she was praying to God out loud, and when we landed and it was a smooth landing, both of us were praising God for the act of worship that the pilot had done and that we had landed safely. The next line that we uh, see in this passage after don't negotiate the minimums is this phrase, which is like it, which is secondly, do your best. Do your best. When we view all that we do as worship to the Lord, we should do our best. A couple of months ago, we were working on putting bathrooms in a small group space, uh, down in the basement, and Lonnie Even from Even Quality Works was the one who did the flooring for, uh, for those rooms. He also striped our parking lot. They look amazing, and here's something that's crazy cool about it is he did all of that for free for us, and so I'm so appreciative of that. We're grateful. But my favorite part about that was when I walked downstairs, and this guy named Joe who attends our church was down there working on the floor, and there was this giant smile on his face as I walked in, and I saw what he was doing. He's like, Pastor, we're doing the best we can because we don't want to mess this up and have people from our church going, hey, you messed that up or it looks bad. He says, and more importantly, we don't want to come down here and see any flaws in it. And I think a deeper way of saying that is this is an act of worship unto God. And this is God's house. And we want to do our best. And, uh, And so there was that deeper motivation. 
And as they uh, viewed it as an act of worship unto God, people have gone down there, and it has been awe-inspiring. They've gone, whoa, these floors are amazing, and God has received glory for it. And, and I'll just tell you that for each of you who have served in our building uh, as either subcontractors or even as volunteers, it's clear as you look around this space that people have viewed it as an act of worship unto God. There's not been a single person who's come into this building, subcontractor or volunteer, who's gone, well, I'm not getting paid for this, so let's just slap some paint on here. Well, that's close enough. It, we got three-fourths of the wall uh, covered or any of that. Instead, you've done it. You've not negotiated the minimums, and you've done it to the best of your ability, and so I'm appreciative of that. But here's the deal. Whatever your occupation, you should do your best. Christians should be the best school teachers, amen? They should be the best medical professionals. They should be the best craftsmen. They should be the best factory workers and cooks and servers and attorneys and musicians and landscapers and builders and business owners and financial advisors, moms and dads, salespeople, and even retirees. Christians should be the best. We should lead in every sector of society. The reason for this is because as followers of Jesus, we should be offering our best as worship to him in all we do. And there might be some of you who are like, well, I'll offer my best when I get my dream job, but in the meantime, I don't really care right now. I hate this place. <laughs> Listen, if that's your attitude, you'll never get your dream job. Luke chapter 16, verse number 10 says, the one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And the one who's dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. This past session of men's group, uh, I sat at a table with Drew Hectone as well as a couple other great godly men, and somehow we got on this conversation. And Drew said that every week, he's a manager at, at John Deere, and he said every week somebody will come in and say, how do I get a promotion here at John Deere? And he says, my advice to them is always the same. Be amazing at what you're doing right now. Be amazing at what you're doing right now, and then that's how you'll get a promotion. For those of you who are praying for God to open the door for a dream job or a dream position, be faithful and amazing in what you're doing right now. If you're a student in college right now and you're praying, you're dreaming about your dream job, then finish strong in whatever season that you're at right now. So even if you're a freshman or you're a sophomore or a junior and now you're a senior, you're done. But as you enter into this next phase, make sure that you're being amazing at what you're doing right now. Give your best, not for the company or for your teacher or for your boss, but instead for God. There are some of you who are like, I don't like my teacher, so I'm not going to give all that I have and I'm going to fail her class. Well, that's dumb. It's so dumb. Like, that, that only hurts you. And it's just sad that that continues beyond kindergarten, you know? Like, some of you have paid thousands of dollars for a college class, and you're like, I can't stand this instructor. Well, it doesn't hurt them. It hurts you. Some of you are like, I don't like my boss, my company, or my coworkers. Maybe your workplace is toxic. If that's the case, I'm sorry for you. But here's what I believe. You have two options. Number one, you can leave and find a new job. And with that, I would encourage you that you would leave well, that you would give notice, and that you would finish strong. And I'll just tell you, look around. Everyone's hiring, right? There are bonuses right now. I saw for delivering pizzas from Domino's somewhere. I don't remember where I was at. It might have been in Memphis. It said a $1,000 sign-on bonus to deliver pizzas plus a crazy minimum amount per hour. And so there are jobs out there. So if you're in a toxic environment, and then, then leave that and find a new place. Or your second option is to do your best. 
There's not an exception in this passage to only worship God and do your best in your occupation only if you love your boss or your employer or your job. The other thing that we can do is work to make our workplace better. Do your part to change the atmosphere. If you don't like your school or your home life, make it better. You can't change others, but you can change yourself. Here's the other thing is we don't have to have a position or a title to bring glory to God through our work. There's this book that I just got through reading called Think Again by Adam Grant. It's not a Christian book, but nonetheless, there's this story in there. And here's what he says. If you visited a certain floor of the hospital, it wouldn't be long before cancer patients told you how grateful they were for Candace Walker. Her mission was not only to protect their fragile immune systems, it was also to care for their fragile emotions. She called the chemotherapy center the house of hope. Candace was often the first one to console families when their loved ones went through treatment. She showed up with bagels and coffee. She would make patients laugh by telling stories about her cats drinking her milk or showing them that she had accidentally put on one brown sock and one blue sock. One day she saw a patient on the floor of an elevator writhing in pain and the staff members nearby weren't sure what to do. Candace immediately took charge. She rushed the woman into a wheelchair and took her up in the elevator for urgent treatment. The patient later called her my savior. Candace Walker wasn't the CEO of the hospital. She wasn't a doctor or a nurse. She wasn't a social worker either. She was a custodian. Her official job was to keep the cancer center clean. Come on, in all we do, we should view it as worship to God. The third thing that we should do is work from the heart. Work from the heart. You can tell when someone loves their job and views it as a calling from God. I've shared with you multiple times the story of a lady named Judy Hammer who cleaned the toilets and the showers at the University of Northern Iowa at one of the dorms, and she was able to lead multiple college students to Jesus because she viewed what she did as an act of worship to God. When we do our best from our heart, God is glorified. When we work from the heart, we recognize that the purpose of what we're doing is far greater than the paycheck or the earthly recognition. Mark Batterson multiple times has says, we live for the applause of the nail-scarred hands. I love that. We live for the applause of the nail-scarred hands. When we work from the heart, we worship God with our parenting, and we bring our families the best rather than the leftovers. Oh, the weight of that statement is huge. Our worship to God and the way that we parent will shape the way how the next generation views Jesus. I'm not trying to guilt any of us this morning. I clearly have been far from perfect as a father. But if we'll view our parenting as worship unto God, imagine the impact that we could have on our kids. The heart is the center of our emotion. And there's an old computer statement that says, garbage in, garbage out. If we're going to worship God in all that we do and work from the heart, then we're going to have to work on the heart. And the first place that we start with that is a relationship with Jesus. With that comes the confession of sin to cleanse the heart. David wrote in the Psalms, Psalm chapter 51, verse number 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. If we're going to worship God with, with our work from the heart, then we're going to have to start from ground zero. We've got to confess Jesus as our Savior and repent of our sins and live for him. 
There are some of you that when you make that decision, you're instantly set free from your old way of life. And there are others of you that it's more of a process. But we've got to take care of the heart. There are some of you who have carried stuff from your past that you're still carrying to this day that's impacting your present in a huge way. You need to deal with your heart. You need to deal with your past. The first step is to bring it to Jesus. Last week I talked about how so often we can skip over the supernatural and go to the natural. And I believe that God wants us to start with him that we should start with the supernatural and then move to the natural. And so for those of you who are carrying baggage from your past, I would encourage you to bring it to Jesus. The second thing I would encourage you with is if there's not instantaneous relief from that, is that you would find a good Christian godly counselor. We can help recommend some to you and process that through them so that you don't have to continue the rest of your life carrying that stuff. Instead, you can lay it down and get help. In addition, we have to guard what goes into our heart because What comes into our heart will overflow. The fourth thing is this. We've got to remember the rewarder. Remember the rewarder. There is a paycheck for some of our acts of worship, and for some of our acts of worship, there is not. Fortunately for me, there is this paycheck for this act of worship, and I love it. What a privilege to get paid to do something so amazing that I love so dearly to be the pastor of this church. It's amazing. But there are other responsibilities and roles and tasks that I have that I don't get compensated for. One is being a parent. There is no compensation for parenting my children. Instead, it is the most costly responsibility that I have in this life. I feel like a human ATM all the time. Dad, can I have your card? Dad, can, you, can I have your card? No. Uh, if, anyway. The, moving right along. The other responsibility that I have that I don't get paid for is being the husband to Erica. And that one doesn't pay anything, but if it did, if I could make a living out of loving you, I'd be a millionaire in a week or two. I'd be doing what I love and loving what I do if I could make a living out of loving you. Yeah, that's right. That's a good old country song. I didn't make that up. So for those of you who are like, what was that? That was amazing. Did he just write that song right there? No, Uh, somebody else did. Do another one. No, that's all I got. I'm fresh out. <laughs> I'm fresh out. But what, wow, in our marriage relationships, there you are, babe. I was looking all over for you. I was singing to some man in the back row here because I couldn't find you. <laughs> I need to know where you're at in second service. Whew. <laughs> but what would it look like if we viewed our parenting and our vocation and our relationships as worship unto God. When we view our lives as worship, all that we do is worship to God, then we remember that he is the rewarder. I should give my best in worship to God in all areas, knowing that he's the one who's the rewarder. And we don't act like Jesus so that people will think good of us. We act like Jesus so that we can bring him glory. Mark Batterson in his new book, Win the Day, said, in the fourth year of his reign as king of Israel, Solomon commenced construction of the temple in Jerusalem. Despite employing 150,000 skilled laborers, it took seven years to knock out the punch list. Our church would never survive uh, taking a project seven years. Like, we're we're just fast, you know? Where am I at? Here we go. The project required tons of timbers, so King Solomon negotiated a trade deal with King Hiram of Tyre. King Hiram cut down trees and floated them like rafts down the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to a port called Joppa. 
Then the logs were transported to Jerusalem and used to build Solomon's temple. Along with the logs, King Hiram sent an expert artisan named Hiram, let's call him Hiram the Creator. Extremely skilled in bronze craftsmanship, Hiram cast two 27-foot pillars that would adorn the entrance to King Solomon's temple. He even named them Boaz and Jachin. The columns were first impression pieces. No one got inside without walking through them. Hiram designed seven and a half foot capitals to place on top of the columns, and on top of the capitals, 200 pomegranates in two rows around them. So Hiram designed 200 pomegranates for the capitals. So what? Who cares what the tops of the columns look like? They were 34 and a half feet in the air. No one was ever going to see them. And Mark Batterson says, that, my friend, is the point. Only two people were going to notice this creative nuance. The first was the artist himself, Hiram the creator. The second was the artist, the creator. Nobody was ever going to see the work that he did, but yet he put so much detail and so much effort into it because he knew that God was going to be his audience and God is the rewarder. In something that no one could ever see, a craftsman did something for the glory of God that out that most people would never see but God would, and he did it as unto him. I think about all the stuff that gets done here at our church behind the scenes that maybe some of you notice and some of you don't. In the summer, there's this group of men who mow the grass every week. And each Sunday when you show up, the lawn is mowed, the weeds are picked, the grass clippings are blown off of the driveway, and you just think it magically happens. There are some, of, some of them will never receive even a thank you from you because they don't serve publicly. They serve privately behind the scenes. And here's the deal. They're not doing it for a thank you from you. They're not doing it for a paycheck. They understand that God is the rewarder. And so they do it as an act of worship unto him. And again, we go back to the other things that each of you do around here where you exercise that for God to be the rewarder. I've told David Shutnik and a number of men here who have just served so faithfully, I'm like, y'all need to start doing neck muscles right now because when neck muscle exercises right now, because when you get to heaven, your crown's going to be so large that you're going to have to, you know, build up the endurance to be able to hold it up. The final thing this morning is don't make Jesus look bad. In verse number 25, it says, the sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. I love the directness of that. And here's the reality. Our identity as followers of Jesus follows us around everywhere. Our identity as followers of Jesus follows us around everywhere. It follows us on the playing field. It follows us to our workplace. It follows us in the TSA lines. Mm. It follows us in rush hour traffic. It follows us to the DMV. It follows us through the thousandth car warranty phone call. <laughs> it follows you on social media. Do you get the point? Back to the 1,000th car warranty call, this morning I had a dream before waking up, I kid you not, that a comedian made a joke about this. And this is what the comedian said. It said, the next time you get that 1,000th car warranty phone call, you just need to bust out in five seconds of praise. 
And you just need to be like, I thank you, God, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just like this phone call that I received yesterday, today, and I'm going to get tomorrow. Can you imagine what would happen? And that next unsolicited phone call from a telemarketer, if you just answered it with, praise the Lord, I'm so glad you called today. He's so good. I think you should try it this week. I know some of you are going to try it. You're going to come and tell me about it. My mom's ringtone when my sister calls us. Praise God. It's your daughter. It's another wonderful day. That's <laughs> I just hit ignore on phone calls that I don't recognize, but I'm going to have to try to answer some phone calls this week and, uh, and just give God a five-second praise break on that. Can you imagine what would happen? There's some of you who might think that you can compartmentalize your life. You might think that on Sundays for this one hour service that I'll identify as a follower of Jesus and then live live differently the rest of the week. And if that's the case, honestly, I would question your salvation. As followers of Jesus, I'm not saying that we have to be perfect, I'm surely not. But what I'm saying is people are watching. How we live our lives matter. When we say one thing and we do another and we're accused of hypocrisy, it's true. When at all times, all that we do, we worship God, people will notice not for our glory, but for his. They'll see your commitment to the church. They'll see the way that you engage in parenting your kids. They'll see that you treat your work with purpose and worship God by giving your best. Now I can already hear some of the excuses from some of you of why you can't give your best in some areas. The enemy's gonna have us look for what's wrong in our life or why we can't give our best to think that we don't have what others have and so that's why we can't do it. Can I tell you something this morning? God is not calling us to give someone else's best. He's calling us to give our best. And so then we're without excuse. He's not calling me to work in the giftings and the anointing of somebody else. He's calling me to work in the giftings and the anointing that he has for me. We need to give God our best. Jesus modeled this for us. He gave his best. He lived his whole life in its entirety to please the Father. He was always interruptible and always reflected the image of the Father. I just want to say this to you. Even when you think that what you do doesn't make a difference, it's making a difference. And so as we bring this message to a close this morning, I told you I was going to tell you what I was going to tell you told you what I told you I was going to tell you, and now I'm going to tell you what I told you. In these five areas, where are you struggling? The first one was don't negotiate the minimums. The second was do your best. The third was work from the heart. Remember the rewarder. And finally, don't make Jesus look bad. Just a moment, the prayer team's gonna come forward and they're gonna give you an opportunity to pray over you today. And if you're struggling in any of these areas, or maybe you're like, I'm not struggling in these areas, but I want God to help me be even stronger in these areas, then I'm gonna encourage you to come forward for prayer. Let somebody pray for you this morning. I ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there are some of you who come in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior, and you say, today, I wanna make that decision to become a follower of him. I wanna confess him as Savior, and I want my heart cleansed from the sins of the past. I wanna be forgiven by him this morning. 
Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with him, but you've turned your back on him and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. In just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time or I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, I want you to slip up your hands all across this room. You say, that's me. I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time or I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. Thank you. I see that hand. You can put it down this morning. Two, are there others this morning? Three, are there others this morning? Thank you, God. Four, I see that hand. Thank you. Let's stand all across this room. There were at least four hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if that was, if you raised your hand,